you don't need to be a very observant person to recognize that people all over the world like to sing. Sing at sporting events, we sing at birthdays, unfortunately many times. We sing at weddings and funerals. We sing in choirs, we sing in the shower, we sing in the car, we, we sing in musicals, they continue to thrive. But Christians especially sing. We, we sing, whether it's a chorus or a chorale, whether it's a traditional hymn or a modern worship song, Christians sing. And I want us to take some time tonight to explore and better understand from God's Word why God wants us to sing when we gather and why the church singing together is different from any other kind of singing. Daniel Levitin is a, both a scientist and a musician. He wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. I like to read those kinds of books. He, he attempts to explain how we experience music and why it, it plays the unique role it does in our lives. And in one chapter, he calls My Favorite Things. He explains why we like the music we do. So this was fascinating. He said, in the, in the first year of a child's life, they like the music that they were exposed to while they were in the womb. So they'll have a preference if, if, if a couple listened to classical music a lot while a child was in the womb, when that child's born. For the first year, that child will be prone to enjoy classical music, but not for long. By the second year, we start to be influenced by the music of our culture. So a two-year-old in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from, will like different kind of music than a two-year-old in Mumbai uh, or a two-year-old in Moscow or a two-year-old in some other part of the world. At first, we, we like simple music, which is why, as far as I'm aware, all cultures have some kind of nursery songs that, that children enjoy. But, but it's not too long before we start to want more complicated music. And then when we're teens, our, our active brains assign exaggerated significance to just about everything. And so the music we listen to becomes embedded in our psyches so that even when you uh, are, are decades removed from your teenage years, you still tend to like the music that you enjoyed when you were a teenager. Now, you don't have to have a degree in music, like I do, a piano performance degree. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be an expert in music to know what kind of music you like. I've tried having conversations with people who know nothing about music. And I tell them, that's a bad song. And here's why. Da, 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 da. And they just respond, I like it. <laughs> and and <laughs> what am I to say? Well... Okay, you're wrong. You, you shouldn't like it. We all have strong preferences about music, even if we have no musical knowledge. We also have preferences about worship music. 
songs that are sung in the church. We, we like certain songs. We maybe like certain traditions. We like, some of us like certain beats, certain artists, certain tempos. Some of us will only worship to fast celebrative songs. Others, us, others will only worship to slow traditional hymns. So as I was preparing this message, and I've talked about this for years, I started thinking, what kind of music does God like? And it struck me, like, what if we get to heaven and find out that God's favorite music is opera? (laughs) That would be so disappointing. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it'd be okay, but it's just not what I think of when I think of heaven. But does God like the music we use in, in worship, in congregational settings? Does, what does he think about it? Does, does, is there a purpose for it that we might be missing? Why do we worship God in song at all? That's what, that's what I really want to know. Why do we worship God in song at all? Why don't we wave banners or knock pieces of wood together or, or something? Why do we sing? Why, why does God call us to gather to sing? I think many of us have preconceptions rooted in our past experiences that govern what we expect or don't expect when we gather to sing. Even, even in a room, certainly in a room with this many people, we have varied backgrounds that are forming, help us form opinions about what we're doing. I want us to take some time tonight to look at a passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians that I believe helps us see why we gather to sing. So if you'd open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 12 through 17, but we're going to focus on the last two verses. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae was his concern that the Colossians were being influenced by false teachers, uh, teachers who were adding things to Christ. And anytime you add something to Christ, you take something away. So Paul wants them to be clear on who Jesus is and what the gospel is. So the gospel is all over this book. In chapter 1, he writes about how Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God who reconciled a people to God through his blood shed on the cross. That's the gospel. And he reminds his readers of what they're living for and what gave them life. It's Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. In chapter 2, he says, we're to be rooted in him. We are to walk in him. We are to be built up in him. And then in in chapter 3, he says, we've been raised up with Christ, and Christ is now our life. And then he begins to articulate what that means for our life together, what it looks like to live a Christ-centered, gospel-driven life in the midst of a pagan society, and surprisingly, what role singing plays in that process. I think what we're going to learn tonight from these verses is that we worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. 
We worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. Those would be the relationships we enjoy with God and the relationships we enjoy with each other. Singing is meant to be more than a warm-up to the sermon, a means of drawing crowds, and it's not a platform for frustrated musicians who can't find a gig during the week. It's not meant for any of those things. It's, it's more than a personal emotional experience. It is meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. So I'm going to read to us Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak to us, through which you make your will known to us through which you draw near to us and we draw near to you. We ask that as we explore these verses, you would help us through your Spirit to better understand why it is we gather to sing and how that's meant to deepen our relationship with you in our relationship with each other because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. As I said, we're going to focus on the last two verses, so I want to read those again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know which translation you're using tonight, but I'm using the English Standard Version. 
And I think it captures the structure of the original in verses 16 and 17, which is a command, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, followed by two clauses that show how that command is to be carried out. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and by singing our hearts to God. So as we look at these two verses, we're going to extract three reasons why God wants us to worship him together in song. And here's the first one. To impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. To impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Word of Christ could mean the words of Christ that he spoke, but more likely it refers to the word about Christ, which is the gospel, the good news to which the entire word of God points. Christ is to be the center of our singing. One theologian said it like this, Christ is the ground and content of Christian song. Christians, get this, Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it is especially what God has done through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. And I would say is the one who points to Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is the life in Christ. The focus is teaching and admonishing one another. It's a mental activity. We're teaching, we're instructing, we're educating. And it's describing the horizontal element of our singing. Through teaching and admonishing one another, we're to enable the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. The gospel to dwell in us richly. Now, I don't know if you guys have a store we have in the States called Cinnabon. Have you heard of, do you know what Cinnabon is? Cinnabon is a place where they make cinnamon buns. Appropriately enough, they call them Cinnabons. Sometimes I'll be walking through a mall in the States and and I will suddenly catch a smell. And it will be yeasty and sugary and cinnamony. And it will just be really, really good. And I'll walk a few more yards and I'll come across, sure enough, a Cinnabon. And as I'm there enjoying the rich, rich smells of, of the Cinnabons that are being baked fresh for us right there, I'm thinking, I love the smell of the Cinnabon, but I want that Cinnabon dwelling in me richly. <laughs> and it's a different experience when I break down, as I often do, and go and buy a Cinnabon and get it dwelling in me richly. It's really different. And I'm wanting one right now as we're thinking about it. Sometimes we're like that with the gospel of Christ. The good news that Jesus has come. He was born as an infant in the flesh. Lived a perfect life in our place. Bore our sins in his body on the cross. Bore the wrath of God that we deserved. 
was raised from the dead by his father, ascended to his father's right hand, where he intercedes for us. We can hear about all that. And it's just like smelling a cinema. Oh, that's so nice. Mm, I like that. And it never dwells in us richly. Paul's readers would have understood Paul to be saying that the word of Christ is continually and regularly to be dwelling in and among them richly. That the gospel was to affect them and influence them and shape them and govern their lives. So, why does he start talking about music? Why does he say, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Well, I can think of a couple reasons. First, singing helps us remember words. It has this universally recognized mnemonic power that in recent decades, scientists are just beginning to understand. Music is, it works differently in our brains. Our brains are hardwired to recognize and categorize and remember patterns in music better than we remember patterns in words alone. And you see an example of this, if you know anyone who has had Alzheimer's, or if you've ever been in a home where there, there are a number of people with Alzheimer's, you'll see people who can't remember who their spouse is. They don't know who their spouse is. But if you start singing a song they learned as a child, they remember it. They join right in with it. Fascinating story in Deuteronomy 31 when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land. And God is speaking with Moses and he's telling Moses that when they enter the land, they are going to give themselves to idols. They're going to disobey me. They're going to run from me. So God says to Moses, teach them this song so that, and this is quoting Deuteronomy 31, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. In fact, in pre-literary times, before people knew how to read or write, poems and music were often used for significant events such as treaties or blessings or covenant promises and prophecies to help people remember what was taking place. So that's one reason, I think, that we're to sing and how that impacts our minds. Here's another reason. Singing helps us meditate on the truths of the gospel more profoundly. It, it does that by stretching out words. So I could say to you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Now, that's one way of communicating those words. Here's another way. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now 
I see. Probably took three times as long to do that. That's what music helps us do. It helps us, it can help us slow down and hear and reflect and meditate on these words. It can also put breaks between words so that we can reflect on them. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my rock, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, yes, he is. this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love. See how we just have a little moment to pause and think, yes, yes. yes. And that's what our, our souls keep responding, yes, yes. So that's how music helps the gospel impact our minds. And then just through repetition. You know, isn't it great that we can sing a chorus and sing it again and sing it again and sing it again and it still speaks to us? Or a song like, um, It is well, it is well With my soul, with my soul Okay, that's enough. We've said it enough. No, music doesn't stop there. It is well, it is well with my soul. Extension, so we really mean it. See, that's so different from saying it. So it's, it's drilling that into our minds. Singing is meant to impress the gospel on our minds. That's how, one way, how it enables the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Now that's different from having musical experiences dwell in us richly. It's a different thing. Music by itself, played well, played passionately, can produce tears, awe, gratefulness, joy. It can have an emotional effect on us. Is this piano on? Can we get this piano on, Ash? Let me demonstrate this just for a moment. So, I just come to this piano and I start playing. What emotion might you associate with what I just did? Maybe I better stay up here for a moment. <laughs> what emotion? Just, this is um, participation time. So there's no right or wrong answer. So what emotion did, did that communicate to you? Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Okay, I thought a little bit of that too. Nostalgia. What was down here? Peace. Reflective. Yeah. Sorry? Relaxation. Relaxation. There we go. In a moment, we're all going to be falling asleep. I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking that was probably the wrong thing to play. Um, okay. Peace. Uh, relaxation. I think I made the point. Peace. Relaxation. Uh, nostalgia. All right. So you have no idea what I was thinking when I played that. 
I could have been thinking about taking a nap. I could have been thinking about uh, any number of things. But you have no idea. Because music cannot speak truth. Only words can speak truth. Or maybe I should say words are the clearest way God has given us to communicate truth. Music is the least vague. So at times, we will be singing in a congregation and we will be allowing the musical experience to dwell in us richly. So that happened to me just tonight. We were singing the song, He who is mighty has done a great thing. What is it? Taken on flesh, conquered destiny, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. And I became aware that I was just really enjoying singing this song and not thinking about what I was singing at all. It was just fun. It was just great. It's just got this nice lilt that you can just join right in on. And he who is my... It's kind of like a bar song, isn't it? Done a great thing. Shanking on flesh. So that's... I mean, music can say all those kinds of things. But the second time we sang that chorus, I started thinking about the words. I figured since I'm teaching on this topic, I should at least apply it. I started thinking about the words, and that's when I was overwhelmed. That's when I encountered the Lord. I was just singing about what he's done. (laughs) He who is mighty has done a great thing. He's taken on flesh. He's conquered death's sting. He's, He's shattered the darkness. He's lifted our shame. Holy is his name. That's what's meant to dwell in us richly. We can, we can do this anytime. You know, and be totally unchanged by it. But we can't have the word of Christ dwell in us richly and be unchanged. We will be affected. God wants the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That's why we're told to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The singing more relates to the phrase to God. We're singing to God, but we're teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Ephesians 5, Paul says it even more clearly He says that we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are teaching one another. Now, it's not saying that teaching and admonishing only take place when we sing. Primarily, it takes place when the the sermon is preached. But it does say the words that we sing matter. And that's why if we're to benefit from singing the way God intended we'll tend to sing some wordy songs because there's a lot to say about God. There's a lot to say about His promises and His relationship to us and, and how we're to view Him and, and uh, the, the things that He warns us about. So we'll tend to sing wordy songs whether they're popular or not. 
And when someone comes to our church and says, well, you know, why do you sing the songs you do? I said, we're looking for songs that enable the word of Christ to dwell on us richly. And the first part of that is that the gospel is impacting our minds. The gospel of Christ being impressed upon our minds. It's also why we sing about what Christ has done. Because it's the word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly. So, as leaders, we're responsible to keep that in mind as we lead songs, choose songs. As, as those in the congregation, we're responsible to focus on the truths that we're singing more than the music we're hearing. But actually, they work together. God, God combines the most precise way to communicate truth with the most vague way to communicate truth. And he puts them together, and we call it singing. It's God's intention. And the first reason is that the gospel of Christ might be impressed upon our hearts. But music, I'm sorry, impressed upon our minds. But music isn't meant to undermine the word. It's meant to serve it. It's not meant to overpower the word. It's meant to serve it. It's not meant to distract from the word. It's meant to serve it. So worship and song deepens our relationship with God and each other because it impresses the gospel of Christ on our mind. Point two, we sing together to impress the gospel of Christ on our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now that's how the ESV renders it. And I'm not a... I don't know the original languages, so I'm just going by the guys I've read. That last phrase might be more accurately translated. This, this phrase, with thankfulness, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In grace, singing in your hearts to God. You being in grace, singing in your hearts to God. And so Gordon Fee writes in God's Empowering Presence, Thus, the focus is not so much on our attitude toward God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude towards us that prompts such singing in the first place. The focus is not so much on our attitude towards God when we sing as our awareness of his attitude towards us, which prompts such singing. So, Singing is a way of expressing our gratefulness for the gospel as we consider the grace that God has shown us in Christ. John Piper says it like this. The reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. So singing gives, gives us a means of expressing that. But singing is also a way of stirring up affection in our hearts for what God do, has done for us in Christ. It's a way of expressing our gratefulness, and it's a way of stirring up that affection and Jonathan Edwards, a few hundred years earlier, says it like this. 
The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So when I'm speaking of affections, we're not speaking of emotional responses in the moment. We're speaking about that part of our being, which is kind of like the drive center for everything we do. It's, it's, it's where our will and our desires and, and, and our affections lie that control what we do, that influence everything we do. So they're not, it's not like my affection gets raised really high and then they're not there anymore. No, I have a love for Christ. It's an affection for Christ that isn't dependent on someone stirring it up. It's there because of who God is in Christ. So singing both expresses and encourages affections in our hearts for God in response to the gospel. Now, when we use the word heart, when scripture uses the word heart, it's usually speaking of our whole being. So we're not just singing with our mouths. We are singing with our whole beings. Our whole beings are engaged. And some of the indication of that comes from just the phrase psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're to sing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we're not entirely sure what that means. And I could propose to you that it means psalms are the psalms of the Old Testament and hymns are uh, songs uh, written after that that exalt Christ and, and spiritual songs are songs that were more spontaneous in nature. I could say that to you, but I don't know for sure. Sounds good, but we don't know. It's probably not three distinct genres, but it's probably not Paul saying the same thing three times either. What it probably is communicating is that there's a lyrical and musical diversity in our singing to God, which seems entirely appropriate if the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. Biblical worship that's pleasing to God can be spontaneous or planned. It can be simple or complex. It can be done with a group or alone. It can be done with instruments, without. There's just not one style that's going to sufficiently capture the glory of God. There's not one style that fully expresses our varied responses. Now, there are some styles that are better for congregational singing than others. No question. But we don't want to press people into a stylistic mode as much as we want to encourage them to sing. That's the goal. So we're looking for all the ways that we can do that. And the important thing is to express our gratefulness for the grace we've received in as many ways we can. Now, certainly there are many emotions that music helps us express. Things like sorrow for sin, awe, peace, trust. We see that in the Psalms. But this side of the cross and resurrection, it appears that the predominant theme of our songs is going to be gratefulness for the finished work of Christ. That is an all-pervasive theme in our hearts and in our minds. 
God intended music to help us respond with unbridled joy to what Christ has accomplished. So singing is a way of combining the mind and the heart. Objective truth with thankfulness. Doctrine with devotion. Intellect with emotion. Our heads and our heart. That's why the songs we sing are meant to be both theologically clear and compelling as well as emotionally engaging. We don't want great truths set to dull tunes. We don't want engaging music accompanying shallow or confusing lyrics. We want both. Let's go for both. There are lots of songs today. Lots. Last CCLI report, there were 27,000 songs that the church is singing. And I'm sure that's not all the ones that are being written or that have been written. Certainly not. We've never had greater access to songs than we do now. Let's go for once that enable the word of Christ to impress, be impressed upon both our minds and our hearts. I want to say hearts since it refers to our whole being, also includes what we do with our face and our bodies. Psalm 34 verse 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Radiant? Reminds me of the message last night. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This isn't the case here. We look out and, boy, your faces are radiant. That's how it should always be. That's how it should be in our congregations. We want our faces radiant. We're not always so radiant when we're in front of people. Or sometimes we're like this. <laughs> just, just trying to remember, just trying to get the words. No, look to him. Those who look to him, their faces are radiant. We, we want to ask ourselves and maybe have others answer this question. What is my face communicating to you as I sing? Is it radiant? It, what is my body communicating? Is my body communicating that, that we have a great Savior who has done great things for us? That's, that's why when I work with a band, I, uh, I always encourage the instrumentalists to sing. Um, some of the guys back here who are playing tonight, uh, David Zimmer, Ryan Fogelsong uh, from California, good friends. When I first saw them, uh, the thing that stood out above all else is they're, they're incredible musicians. Sure, sure, yeah, they're incredible musicians. But they sing the whole time. They're singing. And that's really amazing. It's hard to do. But what they're saying is we are being moved by the truths we're singing and not just the music we're playing. They're allowing the gospel of Christ to be impressed upon their minds and their hearts, which is why we sing. Third point, we sing together to impress the gospel of Christ on our lives. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul makes it clear that the word of Christ, the gospel, isn't something that we're simply to sing about. 
We don't just sing one Sunday. We say, oh, you can't wait till we do that again. Let's sing again. Let's, oh, yeah, that was great. Let's, okay, let's sing the next. We're to live in light of it. We are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so how does singing impress the gospel of Christ, the word of Christ, on our lives? Well, one thing it does is it deepens our unity in Christ. It both deepens and expresses it. It's good and right when we sing songs on our own, but God intends for us to sing together. Because when we sing, we are all saying the same words at the same time. We're breathing at the same time. We're singing the same notes at the same time, the same truths at the same time. And it's it's an expression of how God has brought us together through Jesus Christ. And I read not too long ago that when we sing together, something chemical happens in our brains that produces this sense of oneness with others. I thought, well, how, how exciting is that? That's what God intends to happen when we sing because of the gospel. And a few verses before, we read it tonight, Paul says that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. He uses a musical term, in perfect harmony. So we're singing. It may not sound like perfect harmony, but in terms of the gospel, it's perfect harmony. If we're loving one another because of Christ. We're not one because we like the same musical styles. We're one because Christ had destroyed the dividing wall that once separate us. So we sing to express that unity. As one person said, private acts of public worship are a contradiction in terms. We're not going for private acts of public worship. We are singing together. So it expresses and deepens our unity. And I think our singing reminds us of what our lives are all about. Our lives are about Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, your life is about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in the beginning of this chapter. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. When Christ, who is your life, appears. I don't have to try to get him to be my life. He is my life. So singing reminds us of that. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means seeing everything in light of what he has done at the cross. So we learn there's nothing more we can do to earn God's forgiveness. That we are no longer under condemnation. That's life stuff. How do we learn that? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Yeah, you can live in the good of that. 
Live in the good of that. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that your sins have been washed away? They've been cast into the sea? That God's put them behind his back? That you, they've been separated you far from you as the east is from the west? Have you forgotten? Well, let singing remind you. And then live in the good of it. Our suffering is never wasted. It has purpose. It has meaning. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final death, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. You can live in the good of that. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. Not your enemies. Not the non-Christians around you. Not the people you work with. Not your neighbors. Not your children. Not your spouse. Not your government. Jesus commands our destiny. We can live in the good of that. We need confidence in our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're constantly fighting, fighting, fighting. Sometimes we feel like we're going to lose and we're struggling. We're going under. And we come and sing these words. Grace abounding, strong and true. It makes me long to be like you. It turns me from my selfish pride. To love the cross on which you died. You can live in the good of that. Grace abounding, strong, true. Makes me want to love the cross on which you died and stop pursuing false idols. Singing helps us understand why we should be motivated to live for Christ alone in His glory. Through words like, Now, Lord, I would be Yours alone. And this all might see the strength to follow Your commands could never come from me. O Father, use my ransom life in any way You choose. And let my song forever be my only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. We can live in the good of that. What singing is meant to do. It's meant to remind us of how we can live in the good of the gospel. It's meant to impress the word of Christ upon our lives. And in a wonderful way, when we sing together, it prepares us for the life to come. 
we, as we sing together, it's one of the clearest foretastes of the powerful, unending, glorious songs that Revelation depicts for us around the throne. They're going to be so amazing. You know, sometimes people will say, oh man, I think we're going to be singing that song in heaven. And I always shoot back, I don't think so. <laughs> it's going to be better by a long shot. Maybe some hints of phrases or, you know, it's all going to be about Jesus. I know that. But right now it can't be like that because we're so limited. We're limited in the time we have. We just can't keep doing this. We're limited in how much we can take in. We can't, we can't understand so much. We're limited in our strength. We just don't have the, the, the physical capacity to sing very long. But brothers and sisters, one day there's a time when those limitations will be lifted. We will have all the time we want. And more. It will never end. It's not that we'll be singing constantly, infinitely. But we might, we might be singing for like a few weeks. <laughs> and then stop and say, hey, let's, let's grab something to eat. You know, I mean, is the marriage supper of the lamb? It's just like there's going to be food like we've never had here. It's going to be amazing. One day time will never run out. We'll have clearer understanding and unlimited strength. And we will join in a song that right now is only a distant sound. It's a distant sound. What will it be like? When we're singing songs in the unveiled presence of God himself. And we're not the only ones who are going to be singing. He's going to sing over us. What will that be like? One man who spent a lot of time thinking about this is Randy Alcorn. He's written a number of books on heaven. And in one book, The Edge of Eternity, he... He reflects on what singing around the throne might be like. So I'm going to end with reading a a portion of his book because while it's not scripture, I think it does capture some of the wonder and awe that we are being prepared for every time we sing. The army began to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was lost in the choir, hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. It's a great model for singers to follow. (laughs) The galaxies and nebulae sang with us the royal song. It echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in a quadrillion places in every nook and cranny of the universe. 
The song generated the light of a billion burning supernovae. It blotted out all lesser lights and brought a startling clarity to the way things really were. That's what we've been talking about. It didn't blind. It illuminated. And I saw as never before. Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts. (laughs) And instinctively, I knew which one of them I was made to sing. We sing for joy at the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand cantata of rhapsodic melodies and powerful sustaining harmonies. No, wait. There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great white throne and upon it sat the king, the audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause. Shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos, his applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. The king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. It's all that ever will matter. We, we sing for the glory and honor and pleasure of Jesus Christ, who has given us every reason to sing. Who has made it immensely desirable to sing. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in our minds and hearts and lives, the relationships we enjoy through the gospel are deepened. For our good and for God's glory. Worshiping God in song isn't just a nice idea. It's not intended simply for musically gifted people or musically trained people. It's for every Christian. And the question is not, has God given me a voice? But has God given me a song? And for every individual who is trusted in the finished work of Christ to pay for their sins, to purchase their forgiveness... And to see that they are adopted into God's family. That, the answer to that question, do you have a song? The answer is resounding yes. Yes. We have a song and it's a song that will continue throughout eternity for the glory 
of the triune God. And what a great privilege and joy, what amazing grace it is that we can prepare for that time even now. And that's what we're doing every time we gather to sing. So it would be most appropriate if we sang. But let me pray before we do. Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of singing so that the word of Christ might be impressed upon our minds and our hearts and our lives. That's what we desire. Music's great, but Jesus is greater infinitely. And we never want to lose sight of that. So help us as we lead. Help us as we sing. Help us as we teach our families what singing together in your presence is about. Why we do it. Why you intend for us to do it. What you intend to be accomplished through it. And be glorified through our songs now. Through our songs every Sunday. And through our songs in eternity. We ask this in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.